Don't trip him. Keep him. I'm just kidding. Nobody's coming. Thanks, buddy. I don't know what your favorite Christmas hymn is, but I know that those hymns mean a lot to so many. And uh, I'm sure through the Advent season, we will hit one or many of your favorite Christmas hymns. I love Christmas around here, not just because uh, the, the church is decorated so pretty, but uh, it's just a wonderful time of the year. I wonder this morning as we come to the first Sunday of Advent, what brings you hope? The series that we are partnering with folks all over um, the country and even outside of the country uh, is God with us. God with us. It's a scandalous promise if you think of it. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees and, and so many of the religious leaders of the day, this is the part they struggled with the most, the fact that God could be with us. And yet, Isaiah said it so clearly. It's all throughout the Old Testament as well. Today's sermon, though, focuses on that hope. God with us brings hope. What brings hope in your life? For some, it's the first candle to be lit when the power goes out or the fact that, okay, we're going to make it through this. Hope may be the first day you wake up and can breathe again after an awful cold or sickness. It's the percentage that you do have of beating the disease. Hope may be that faint line on the stick when you've been struggling to get pregnant. It's the first ray of sunshine through your window after a long, tearful, difficult night. For some, hope was the first soldier on the beach. Hope is hearing the words, she's going to be okay. Hope is the flicker of maybe, just maybe, this can change. Hope is the fuel of faith and dreams. And hope is what we celebrate this Sunday as we enter Advent. Advent, the whole season, is really a season of hope. The, the word Advent means coming or arrival. We get this every year, I know, at Grace Covenant, and we cover this, but it's worth saying because we need to be reminded all throughout Scripture, the word remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we forget, we forget, we forget. Advent is this expectation, this waiting, this longing for Christ's arrival. It's not just an extension of Christmas. It's not a chance to get more presents. Sorry about that. It's a season, though, that links the past, the present, and the future. In linking us to the past, it offers us this opportunity to enter into this ancient longing that Israel had for decades and centuries for the Messiah to come. We know little of waiting more than 10 minutes for a meal. So it's good to be reminded of a long wait. It, it links us to the past and the arrival of Christ's coming. It links us to the presence that the promises are true and amen in him. And we have his spirit and his word. And it links us to the future that Christ will come again. During Advent, it's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. And we get to engage with all three, past, present, and future. So here's my off-the-cuff challenge to you this Advent season. It's counter-cultural. It's what we, I think, do well as a church. 
with the way we do our services and have done them for over 30 years now. It's to step out of the noise and the clamor and the confusion and the loudness of everything coming at you all throughout the week and quiet yourself and focus with intention on the Lord. Grace Covenant is intentionally analog in some significant ways. And we do that to be a refuge for your heart and mind. Think of Advent that way too. Since we're in the season of Advent, you'll notice the messages will be a little more topically driven than normal, still biblical of course, but that's the thing of tempering to the Advent season today on hope. Speaking of that, God with us doesn't mean God with us to fix everything. He didn't come to fix broken computers, but that also means he doesn't immediately fix broken families and broken and hurting lives. Rather, simply, Advent is a celebration that God is here among us. That he is the God that is with us, that in the darkness, in the pain, in the chaos, he has come and he makes a way. Grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, that's fine. You can join us on the Bible app on your device if you want to, or you can go analog still, grab that pew Bible right in front of you, and if you don't have one, you can leave with that. It's fine. Romans 5, 2. It's in the New Testament. Just after the Gospels. Romans chapter number 5 and verse 2. I'll put it on the screen for you, but it's, there's something about holding that precious book in your hand. Romans chapter number 5 and verse 2. We read this just a few moments ago, but it's worth looking at again. I, I, wanna, I want you to see the kind of hope that set the stage for the sermon. What is this kind of hope? It's this kind of hope that is attached to rejoicing. It's a rejoicing hope. How do we arrive at a rejoicing hope? How do we get a posture like is right in front of us? How do we get a posture standing in the grace of God by faith? Wow. How do we get that kind of posture? And how in the world can we live our little lives, as busy and hectic as they are, and work in a way that actually, look at it, brings glory to God? Well, in order to get there, we need to start at the beginning. Don't worry, I'm not going to go in Genesis and go until I get out of breath, okay? We're not doing that kind of expository sermon this morning. But I will touch on some pillars throughout the Bible. In the beginning, God created. I'm so thankful for that. He created something out of nothing and what he made was good in the beginning God walked freely and openly with Adam and Eve he was with us humanity that is enjoying wholeness and intimacy with God that's what Adam and Eve had and then you know the story they chose sin in an act of what can only be described as open rebellion against the holy God who gave them let the record show one thing not to do right? Parents, you with me? You can do all the things. Don't do the one thing. Yes, you step out of the room, and why did you do the one thing I asked you not to do? You see why God chose to reveal himself as father. He gets it. 
So here they are in this open rebellion against God. They disobey God's clear command. Sin enters into humanity's bloodline. Separation divides us from God. The brokenness of our world that we know too well, that we scroll through on a regular basis, that we hear in the noise around us, that we watch on the news feeds that fill our days, that brokenness is a result of that sin. But God shows us that this overall picture through the scripture that he is making a way, he is giving an opportunity, he is reminding his people of hope all throughout the narrative of God's story. He's at work. He's working his story of redemption through mankind, of his reconciliation, his master plan of wholeness for all of humanity. We catch a glimpse of it when he makes a covenant with Abraham and says to Abram, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed, Genesis 12. We get a whisper of it when he's with Jacob at Bethel and he says to Jacob, I I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. We see God near us and his faithfulness on display in Genesis 28. And you get excited about that, but then time marches on and that separation is felt at its deepest level. Years turn to generations. Generations turn to centuries. And do I need to remind you that we humans are an impatient lot? (laughs) How long, O Lord? How long? was the cry of Israel. From the times of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the many other prophets, there was a repeating history of devotion to God and neglect to God. Now, none of us can relate to this, but if you look in the Bible, nobody in here I know, but when things were going really well, people would forget about God. I know that's foreign. That's why I'm sharing it with you from Scripture. And when people got in a lot of trouble, they would cry out to God to come help and rescue them. You've read about people like this. I know that's not you. But this is the way humanity is. Sounds quite familiar, and it's the story even all throughout the Bible. When there was recession, uh, there was prosperity. There was feast and famine, pleasure and and pain, and people vacillated in their relationship to God. In the midst of that long journey of hope, Isaiah, a major prophet identified in Scripture, pops up and he gives us some of these glimpses of hope. He becomes a voice of hope. You know many passages from Isaiah. They still show up in Handel's Messiah, which is a classic. It's been redone a lot, but the tunes are still the same. 1741, that was written. Now, we do some old stuff, and that's Hey, 1741, and it appeals to so many. Why? Because the tunes are really all over the place and have a wide appeal. Also, there's truth in that piece. Here's one of the truths there. Isaiah 7, 14, it's on the screen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just a little bit later in Isaiah 9, but in the latter times, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. He continues on. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace. What a glorious passage. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Imagine with me centuries of hopelessness and despair and feast and famine and forgetting about God and remembering about him for a moment. And here's Isaiah proclaiming this. Just imagine being there. Now King Hezekiah, a lot of this points to that. And you think, whoa, there's a connection here. Hey, but he could only fulfill so much. He couldn't be an eternal king with an everlasting justice and peace. Imagine the hope. Even though it would still be so many years before Christ would come as a baby in a manger, Isaiah is filled with hope and God's promises fueled him and the people around him and us even to this day. Fast forward to the time of Christ's birth. We get to Luke chapter number one. We find a priest named Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth are old. They're aged in years. But Zechariah is described as a righteous man, a man who is blameless, he held on to these deep uh, religious beliefs and beliefs that the Messiah was coming, but it had been quiet. Here's the deal. It had been 400 years since they had heard a clear prophetic voice and a message from God. I mean, if Bojangles takes about two minutes before they say, welcome to Bojangles, I'm sweating through the drive-thru. Anybody? Those chicken sandwiches, y'all. Come on. I, I, we're so impatient. 400 years. This nation is only 245 years old. 400 years of crickets. So when an angel shows up and tells Zechariah he's going to have a kid that's going to be the forerunner of Christ and starts repeating prophetic words to him in Luke 1:17, saying to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah knew the significance of that. He starts flipping out and says, God, this can't be. I'm too old for this. He couldn't believe it, so the Lord helped him stay speechless until he and his wife, Elizabeth, had John, we know him as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. Can you imagine the hope that sprang up in this couple? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? And the people around them as they heard the news? The old prophecies are about to be fulfilled. The one prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah is actually coming. God is moving to restore hope that he's still here. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't abandoned us. Everything is about to change forever. Hope in Israel was alive again. Hope on the earth at its deepest levels was alive again. But this is history. It's 2021 and you're sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning or watching online and saying, that's really cool, preacher man. But uh, what about me? They weren't fighting cancer. Their, their, their spouse wasn't killed fighting in a war on the other side of the world. Their spouse didn't walk out on them. They, they didn't lose their job with no warning, with bills to pay and debts stacking up and kids expecting Christmas presents, not to mention just our regular meals on the table. What about me? Listen, friend, whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, feast or famine, joy or pain, don't give up hope. 
No matter what kind of season of darkness and pain you were in, let me encourage you, do not abandon hope. Hope is still alive. Even in our deepest pain and most hopeless circumstances, hope is alive because God is with us. I'm gonna show you this morning three distinct ways to have a living hope that the Bible talks about here. Because some of you have hope in maybe a prayer getting answered. You put all your eggs in that basket. You've got hope in this thing working out this way or you've got hope in this thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a hope that doesn't disappoint. What fueled Isaiah's hope, Zechariah's hope, the New Testament writers? How, what, what can help us kindle and reconnect with God's hope during this Advent season and give us that Romans 5, 2 kind of hope that has us rejoicing in hope, standing firm in grace and faith and bringing glory and honor to God? What kind of hope is that? Here are your points this morning. You can take notes right on the back there or if you pull it up online, you see the notes are there. The first thing I point you to is that hope has to be based on God's word. If you want to hope it doesn't fail, you got to tether it to a source that doesn't fail. And friends will fail you. Feelings will fail you. Society will fail you, but God's word never changes. It's the same. It's forever settled. Psalm 130 verse 5, the psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. The first hope is based on God's word. It's one of the greatest parts of God with us. I want you to hear me clearly. When I say God with us brings hope, many of us, immediately our mind goes to, well, I want to feel him near I need to sense him near. I want to see him answer this prayer. I want to see him do that as if he's some cosmic bellhop waiting on you to say some magic word to get him to do something at your bidding. Can I encourage you this morning, Grace Covenant family, no shock to you, we're a Bible church. I'm going there. One of the greatest gifts of God with us is right here. He has revealed himself in this word. Some of you want some promise from the Lord or some word from God. And I remember an old-time preacher from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, saying he's given you 66 books full of them. You haven't read that yet. That was a ploy for pulpit reconstruction. No. <laughs> find yourself in scriptures and you'll find yourself in hope. These are his promises to his people. These are promises to his people both long ago and today. This is the word of God. His promises are like a piece of him. They're beacons of hope. They're reminders that can penetrate our hearts so that no matter what we're facing, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how bad the pain, God will never leave us nor forsake us. You better know where that scripture is because you'll forget it. When the right Rattle comes in your life, you will forget all kinds of things that you know better than to forget. I just don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to think. Well, let's go to what we know. God is with us. In fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Surely the darkness will cover me. Even if I say that, the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for the darkness is light to you. How do I know God is with me? Not because of how I feel. Y'all, I can eat stuff and jack up how I feel, Right? I cannot sleep well and my thinking and reasoning be off. How do I know God is with me? Because he said in his word, he's with me. You're not alone. God with us brings hope because he has made a way to always be with us and nothing, nothing can take that away. Psalm 119, 89 and 90. I have it on the screen. I'd like for us to read it together out loud as a confession of hope. Let's do it together. Ready? Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Hear me, church family. God's word is settled. And since God is with us, we can take hope that we are never alone, that he is always working in us and among us and through us. He's not done with us yet and his greatest and final work of healing comes when we are glorified. How do we know these things? Because he told us in the B-I-B-L-E, old school. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of the B-I-B-L-E. Should have met on a non-children's church Sunday. I could have had him with me. That'd be great. The second thing I tell you to anchor your hope to is God's character. You see, you've you've thrown a line out, and you're wondering why your hope seems always fleeting. You've not tethered it to the Word of God. This is personal to me. I've done this before when I felt hopeless and in disarray. I've got to go back to the basics. I've got to just get back in daily disciplined reading of God's Word, not hunting for a verse for my life but just reading the book and getting to know the author. Hope based on God's character won't disappoint you. We can put our focus on who he is and who he promises to be. Now, I'm gonna give you a a couple of notes in just a moment, but if we were to peek at the attributes of God, I'm thinking of A.W. Tozer's masterpiece, The Attributes of God. So many others have written the same title, but it's a wonderful book. But if we were to focus on the attributes of God, there are so many, and just one, should fill you and fuel you with hope. I want to, for the sake of time this morning, just very briefly touch two attributes that I think are revealed in his name. Let's just look at the name. Let's just, let's just stay there. The name that God gave his dear son that we call him by today and see what he tells us about God's character through the name that was given to his precious son. Look with me. The first name is what? Jesus. You know what? It's good sometimes just to say his name. Would you do that with me? Let's say it together. Jesus. You don't say any other name like that. It's great. Jesus means Savior, Yeshua, this this Savior, this Rescuer. Where do I get that from? Uh, The Word of God. Matthew 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Why? Why will you call his name that? For he will save his people from their sins. Now, you and I hear that as Christians in 2021, and we're like, yes, praise God for Jesus, Savior of me. Israel, though, in the moment, they're going, you're going to call his name Jesus? They're like, I know what that name means, Savior. For he shall save his people, and they're all going like this. And then the angel says, from their sin, they go, 
from our sin. No, 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 from Rome. Get us out of this mess. Answer our prayer. Do this thing for us. Send us somebody who can fix our problem. You see, Jesus' perspective is always bigger than your earthly problem. He wants to deal with the root, not just the fruit. He's come to be the savior of all of us that will put our faith and trust in him and confess our sin to him. His gaze was set on the universal problem of sin. His battle was to deliver all who believe in him from the bondage of soul-deadening sin and welcome us into the family of God. You may think your biggest problem is this. You may think your biggest problem is that. You may think the greatest dilemma facing you right now is this, but Christ came to say, "Uh uh-uh, none of that. Push that aside. I've come to make you new, which means you need a new heart. And I'm just the great physician to give it to you. What a name. Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away, but there's something about the name. Jesus. Second name. You see what I can do? Like we could make a whole series out of this. We're not going to. Second name, Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, that promised Messiah. Luke 9, 18 through 20. Now it happened that as he was praying along, he's, he's into his ministry years now and he's asking his disciples who are with him, who do the crowd say that I am? And they say, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Uh, that one of the prophets of old has risen, verse 20. Then he says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, look at it, the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the promised anointed one of God. You know how the account goes. Jesus looks back at Peter and says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven gave this to you to say right now, this confession is from God. I am the promised one, the anointed one. Listen, Jesus is the ultimate promise keeper. That's what his name means. This is our God. This is a glimpse, a pitiful glimpse, admittedly so, at just two little tiny attributes revealed in his name, Jesus Christ. He fulfilled Israel's hope for the Messiah when he arrived that first Christmas. He fulfilled humanity's hope for victory over death when he resurrected that first Easter. And one day after a while, he will fulfill all of creation's longing and hope when he comes back for the church that's looking for him. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. What a God. This is the promise he left us when giving us a foundation of confidence and boldness that he said after the Great Commission, at the end of it, Matthew 28, 20, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is his character. Now, I I wanna hope that's tethered to that kind of character. A promise keeper, a savior who knows what's really going on inside of me. So, so if we want a kind of hope in this Advent season that, that will cause us to rejoice, even when stuff's falling apart around us, if we want the kind of hope that causes us to stand in grace by faith, as Romans 5, 2 says, the kind of hope that lets us glorify God in our day-to-day lives, we've gotta base our hope on God's word, we've gotta base our hope on God's character, and lastly this morning, we've got to base our hope on God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. 
the Lord is faithful. Lamentations near Jeremiah. It's worth flipping there because it's, it's really worth highlighting these verses in your Bible if you don't. It's in the Old Testament. You see Jeremiah, that's got a chunk to it. Lamentations is nearby, okay? Lamentations in the Bible. Nobody's going to judge you if you use the, the uh, index, table of contents, concordance. Lamentations. While you're flipping there, let me ask you a question. How has God worked in your life? Just, I, I'm going to do this for a moment. I, w- I want you to think of those moments, those memories when you've experienced God's work in your life. You know those times when you had no doubt the Lord did something in your life. You knew he was working. It might have been recently. It might have been long ago. But I want to give you just a moment to recall that to mind. Will you do that? I'm going to give you 10 seconds to just think on that time that pops into your head when God, you knew clearly God was at work in your life. When we think of those things, our reaction is often gratitude. It's a right response. Gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness fosters hope. Look what the writer says here. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Stop there. He's saying I'm calling this up. I've gone into spotlight. I've said, hey, Siri, remind me about boop, boop, right? And then it comes up. I'm calling this instance up to mind, and therefore I have hope. Wow. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Man, that's just a hope-stoked passage, isn't it? That's fantastic. That's good scripture to memorize right there. But it's also good to remember that's stimulated by the faithfulness of God. You might midweek need to recall in your mind something God has done in and through you and for you, a specific time when you knew he was moving on your behalf. Jeremiah understood that there is hope in the future when we remember what God has done in the past. Hear this, I said it last week. The past is a promise that should bring hope in your life. Hope that's based on God's word, on God's character, and in God's faithfulness will spark a fire. It will flow like water. It'll grow like a seed. Hope grows and spreads like a living thing. It can dwindle and wane if it's not tethered to the right sources. But when we fuel that hope, when we allow God's word, God's character, God's faithfulness to be the gas for our hope, my word, it can flourish and multiply. As children of God, that's our goal to share this kind of hope with the world. And if not us, then who? If not now, then when? And if not in your family, in your neighborhoods, in South End, at your job, then where? Therefore, 
since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That hope, based on God's word, based in God's character, based on God's faithfulness. Julia, would you slip over there for just a moment? Let's have a moment to respond before the musicians come to lead us in our final song. I wonder if you feel like hope's been fleeting because you've been trying to hook it on to things that aren't worth hooking it on to. Some of us need to repent (laughs) of the fact that we've leaned into hopelessness when we know better. And we need to recalibrate this morning. Some of you have no hope because you don't have Jesus. You don't have to leave that way. Confess your sins to him. Talk to God this morning. He'll do a deep and abiding work, cleanse you of unrighteousness. Christ became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. He took your sin and shame on the cross, was buried because he died. Three days later, rose again in glorious victory over death, hell, and the grave, is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, and he's calling you to a life of hope. Let's pray. Father, we know somebody. If it's not us, if we're not down in the dumps today and we're joyful and on fire for you, then there's a good chance we know somebody who is in need of hope. And Lord, we cry out for them this morning. We ask you to use us to be multipliers, ambassadors of hope as we go out this week out of this place. Lord, if it is us standing in the need, as the song says, of prayer. God, I pray that we would quit trying to attach our hope to things that fail and fade, that tether it to your word, your character, your faithfulness, God. Your mercies are new every morning. That's that hope we can rejoice in today. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing a few songs before we're dismissed this morning.